You are listening to Fanther Tracks. Because of the following special program, Wonder Woman and the Incredible Hulk will not be presented this evening. Star Wars news in a single file. This is Making Tracks. Here are your hosts, Mark Newbold and Mark Mulcaster. That's not true. That's impossible. Greetings one and all, and welcome to the Mandalorian Reaction Chat, brought to you by those dank ferrics over at fanfortracks.com. This is a spoiler-filled review episode, so if you haven't seen Chapter 24 of The Mandalorian, entitled The Return, or if you're struggling to count that high, it's episode 8 of season 3. Pause this podcast, go watch it, and come back once you have. So executive producer Rick Famuir is back in the directing chair for the conclusion of this two-part episode, but last week saw Bo-Katan unite the Mandalorian clans and set off on a quest to retake Mandalore. They were met by survivors from a Knight of a Thousand Tears who joined the Fellowship and led them to the Great Forge. Unbeknownst to them, though, they walked our heroes right into the heart of an Imperial trap where they were besieged by jetpack-wearing Imperial Stormtroopers. Bona company flee only to fall into Moff Gideon's trap. Din is captured, whilst Paz Vizsla makes the ultimate sacrifice by holding off more of the Beskar alloy jetpack-wearing troopers, only to fall at the hands of three of the Moff's newly acquired Praetorian guards. So chapter 23 left us on a cliffhanger. Will Din escape? And will Bo retake Mandalore? Chapter 24 picks up right around the corner from last week's episode. It's the finale of season 3, and it's left nothing off the screen. So Mark, chapter 24, end of the season. What did you make of it? I think this episode, The Return, summed up season three of The Mandalorian quite neatly in the sense that it was quite the mixed bag. Uh, there was great action, plenty of plot development. There were some very cool moments and some slightly goofy moments, and I'm pointing at you, Looney Tunes ending with Grogu and the Frog. <laughs> I, I enjoyed it, but it didn't, it didn't rock my socks. I mean, I think we've been sport with Mandalorian when you think the end of season one was a cracking cliffhanger. The end of season two was one of the ultimate Star Wars anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, season three had a lot to live up to. Although in moments there were some certainly some excellent sequences that will stand the test of time. But I would say a mixed bag. What did you make of it? Yeah, I mean to be honest, the whole ending, like which is you know, let's just start right at the end and then work our way back. Um, but yeah, the the whole <laughs> ending felt like an ending like as if mm. there you know there's no reason to to kind of really go back got his little house and grogu or din grogu now has got his uh yeah. little pond with his little frogs that he can toy around with but yeah the um yeah the very end was just a little bit bit twee but then to be honest as we know with a lot of star wars it's all about mirroring images and juxtaposing stuff and making contrasts and stuff so how long would the peaceful and the happy ever after life actually suit both of these two adventures, to be fair? I would imagine not very long. And it does definitely feel almost like you could say it's end of book one. Yeah. yeah? You know, yeah. we've had 24 chapters, which has basically been the Mandalorian book one. And I think the start of Ahsoka, or definitely by the end of Ahsoka see, season one, 
I think that we're going to be kind of into Mandalorian book two. It's like a different chapter now. I mean, there was some very much wrapping up of storylines, at least for the now, in, in a way that's, I think, relatively satisfying. I mean, I'm re- referring really to Bo-Katan and Moff Gideon. And obviously it's that whole thing, isn't it, of like, is the Moff actually dead? Was that actually the actual Moff? Could that have been a clone? And that in itself was a big surprise to me. You know, I hadn't really expected him to be cloning himself. How However, I think the one thing that I've kind of noticed, he is quite a narcissist. So why the hell would you clone somebody else when you can clone yourself and just try and make yourself like a, you know, a Jedi or a Sith like force user? But yeah, overall, season three, ups and downs. But then I suppose it's that whole thing, isn't it? Of like, we have been treated to like some very strong endings as a very strong start and beginnings to each season of a Mandalorian. And I think maybe we possibly are glossing over the fact that, you know, there were some episodes in season two that were maybe just not as strong. And I know we compare Mandalorian to lots of other TV series, but like if you've got a 24 episode series, you can afford to have these filler episodes Mm. and tone changes. But when you only have eight episodes... You really do need, I think, a bit more consistency. For me, I would have been a lot more satisfied with seven episodes of season three and having chapter seven and chapter eight as a single longer feature length episode because it looked so cinematic at times. We've just had the announcement at Star Wars Celebration Europe that Dave Filoni is going to be helming a Mandoverse film, shall we say. This in itself, even though it wasn't Dave and it wasn't John Favreau, directing it was Rick Van but it just felt like compared to the previous episode like chapter six with uh, Jack Black and what's her face like a completely different film it's like they they saved the budget from that chapter to really enhance the effects and the lighting on these last two parts this definitely did feel very cinematic that's that's a really great point and I think this season has generally I think the step up in visuals has been quite noticeable not that it was ever slacking before but it really has looked like you say cinematic this season but I also think tonally it very much has bounced up and down the greatest example of that is between episode six and episode seven last week's episode it really was like night and day like two totally different shows it doesn't concern me or worry me because I like that it's Every episode's kind of different, but Mando has always had, I would say, the first two seasons, if nothing else, there's episodes that stood out more than others and and sequences that were just badass and and really well played. But one thing about Mando was that, certainly for the first 16 episodes, it was very visually and tonally very consistent, whereas I think season three is... It's got a touch of the book of Boba Fett. So that's probably the best way of putting it. <laughs> yeah. I think it's, it's, and I think to, we mentioned the ending that weird, uh, what an odd choice to do that sort of zoom out Looney Tunes ending. I don't quite get the logic of that. But that ending to Book of Boba Fett, when they're all sort of stood in the courtyard laughing about fruit, which just felt like the end of a weird Star Trek, the animated series episode, it kind of felt like it, it, it had got into season three Mando a little bit. But then when they really got it going with the the retaking of Mandalore storyline, which has been really well played, and Bo-Katan back in place, the armourer back in erupt, just the whole thing. The Darksaber is now destroyed. I mean, wow, did not see that coming. So there was plenty of sort of standout moments where you thought, oof, I wouldn't have put money on any of, of the things that happened in this. Definitely came away at the end of the episode, having watched it and watching it to the very end of the credits, thinking, are we going to get another 
coming up next, the book at Boba Fett type announcement, and we didn't. Kind of feeling like, wow, yeah, you know, felt like an ending. It really did feel like an ending. If it is, then that, I'm fine with that because there's plenty of other characters in, in the Mandoverse, as we call it, to focus on. We've got Ahsoka coming up. To me, right now, if you said, you know what, Mark, they're going to do two seasons of Ahsoka before you see another season of Mandalorian, I wouldn't be at all surprised. Yeah, well, this is it. You know, there's definitely parts of the last couple of episodes which are really starting to set up what we're going to see in Ahsoka. You know, suddenly we've we've got the name drop of uh, Grand Animal Thrawn in a more overt way than we had in season two. And mm. Pelion is now part of the, the canon. The Shadow Council, yeah. So exactly. And so this is leading into Ahsoka. We know Ahsoka and didn't know each other and probably know each other pretty well. And she knows Grogu very well and is going to be very much aware of his potential. So I wouldn't be at all surprised if that by the end of season one, at least, that they're called up into the Ahsoka series because it makes sense, doesn't it? You know, and especially now he's kind of got his new gig flying around the galaxy, you know, in the Outer Rim, working for the New Republic, yeah. Matt. What did you make of that? What oh, That was a twist again. I didn't see that coming. I mean, to be honest, I was massively distracted by the whacking great big hat that Dave Filoni was wearing. Yes. I mean, a bit, a bit it, on the nose, it, well, I mean, it? to be honest, I think it was like, it's almost like he'd nicked it off of Cad Bane. It was that very kind of, you know, flat-brimmed kind of hat. Yeah. You know, so fair play to Trapper Wolf, though. Good to see him back. I like how they, they nicked or they, you know, negotiated the... IG head so that they could then create a marshal for um, Navarro. They gift it back to High Magistrate Carga, you know, and, yeah. and it was all quite nice and stuff because it, you saw it, he had the marshal badge and kind of colour scheme like um, we saw with yeah. uh, Cod Vanth. And so you kind of think actually, well, do you know what? There might be that possibility that that whole Rangers of the New Republic could still be a thing. And they're gone, do you know what? Let's just use Din Djarin. And And like he kind of mm. said, you know, I, I kind of need something now. Now I've got my adopted son. That's not necessarily going to be quite as dangerous. However, I mean, I think it's it's fair after how Grogu managed to evade those Praetorian guards for as long as he did, but I don't yes. necessarily think that he needs to be protected or coddled too much. No, it was a neat sequence. I mean, the fight scenes were brilliantly yeah. done. The crashing ship coming down, that was fantastic. So well played. And I was so glad that Axe took the window out and escaped. I kind of had a feeling he was going mm. down with the ship. Yeah. Uh, but whilst thinking, why would you do that? And then he didn't do it, so I was really pleased he didn't do it. Like, it doesn't make any sense. I don't necessarily feel like there'll be any heroicism in doing that. You know, he's got the jetpack. It would seem like the most waste of, like, a character, I think. Because actually, compared to what we saw of Axe in Season 2... And the beginning of this one, I quite like him as a character. You know, I kind of Same. thought he was just like almost like a, a generic named Mando, really, in season two. And, that. and, you know, they built him up, they've given him a bit more character. You know, he had that fight with Paz last week. Other than Paz mm. dying at the end of last episode, which again kind of very much kind of shadows almost what we saw in season one with Quill dying. True. You know, it's uh, quite a decent use of a character. And I have to admit, they have really just, I don't know if you noticed that, you know, it's the second time in at least this season where they've downed a ship. And again, in a nice way of mirroring what we saw in season one, we have a massive fireball and it's Grogu who saves the day. But he looked a lot more comfortable and a lot more stronger and didn't necessarily just kind of completely collapse and then fall asleep for like a week, like he did at the end <laughs> of uh, 
season one. So therefore, again, it kind of shows his Jedi progress because to be fair, across this whole season, he's kind of, he hasn't really been utilised all that well. And I think it is an issue with this character is how can you develop him without him overpowering everybody he's definitely developing he's definitely more aware you see much more of him paying attention and taking things in his journey as a mandalorian because he did make that choice in book of boba fett his journey as a mandalorian is definitely progressing to the point where now he's been adopted you know and there's all these little waypoints that have been touched a lot in this final episode din has made it very clear that this kid is my kid you know you've had Bo calling him dad all season basically you know even the other mandos see it so and and it didn't take an awful lot for the armorer to be persuaded i think with the mandalorian sometimes it's just the it's just the fact of saying it verbally putting it out there into the world that this is my intention and it's the armorers going well you've said it now so you've got to do it because your word is your bond and it's that kind of creed thing i like that you know and it's great for storytellers as well i would imagine it very clearly delineates what they want the characters to do and how they're going to go about doing it I agree with you on Gideon. I think Gideon, there's so many potential ways that they can bring him back or do the Jorah Saboath Dark Clone thing if they want to do it. Or maybe they have just moved him out of the way because we've got Thrawn coming in as the next big bad, you know, a real problem that will clearly dominate as a villain Ahsoka, you you would assume, but then that could bleed over into other sort of Mandoverse storylines. So I think they've sort of cleared the decks, and I like your description of sort of saying, well, maybe this is the end of book one, the Avengers, as I keep jokingly (laughs) calling it. You know, that that film feels like it's it's a way off, I think. I think we're still a number of... Because we have more than one season of Mandoverse storytelling in in a year. We've got Skeleton Crew coming up not that far after Ahsoka, really all ahead of when whenever we get season four of Mando, which apparently Favreau has written. It's going to be interesting to see how far out that is. For everything in one location, daily news, reviews, interviews, podcasts, video and social media feeds, bookmark fanthatracks.com for Star Wars news 24-7, 365. You've got to be careful I think the same way you almost have to be careful with your use of Vader in any live action series, mm-hmm. you kind of need to be careful a little bit with how much you actually utilize Thrawn as a direct adversary. Because yes. this is, I think, what one of the issues that they did have with Rebels when he was kind of like, ah, yes, it's all part of a plan as he's just been mm-hmm. held, handed his ass on the plate by the rebels. Yeah. And there's only so many times you can do that whole kind of like, you know, shake your fist over sky and I'll get you gadget kind of thing, yeah. you know, which is fine yeah. for a cartoon, but live action, it's going to be interesting. I mean, uh, just an interesting choice of uh, actor as well. And it's interesting, isn't it? Like how we've always kind of said, or a lot of fans, I should say, a lot of fans have said, oh, you know, we want Ashley to be Ahsoka. And now we've got Lars Mikkelsen, who is going to play Thrawn. Be interesting to see how our imagined and you know, red version of Thrawn will line up with actually how we see him on screen. Yeah. But, I mean, to be fair, this is all conversation really for Ahsoka reaction chat, which will happen in August. But one thing I have to say is that fair play to the armorer because like I kind of thought that she would be one of these slightly lame NPC kind of characters that just yeah. kind of sits on the sideline, gives everybody the requests. But no, she's out there. She, she, 
She drops with the rest of her troops. She doesn't have a blaster. She's just using her like her tools to just smash yeah. the hell out. The yeah, exactly. Tongues. Just yeah. to hammer the hell out of these stormtroopers, which I thought was fantastic. I was blown away by that scene when the when they dropped and she was stood at the side. I thought she'd just walk back in the cockpit, and not leap in. They kept showing these awesome close-ups of her with the hammer and tongue in each hand. It felt very anime the way they shot it. You'd see them making the move because it's all in yeah. midair. And the flashes of, of dark troopers sort of flying around. And then her lacing into people and knocking the crap out of them. I loved it. And and I felt this season as well, really, you got to see Mandalorians be Mandalorians. And even down to the final scene where Paz Vizsla's kid is basically christened at the minds of Mandalore, which was wonderful. And the camera going down as Grogu clearly senses the mythosaur and the mythosaur's eye opens. I loved yeah. all of that. And I just wonder whether they're teasing something there that we... We think of all these characters that may be the one that rides the mythosaur, yada, yada, yada. And we know as long-term Star Wars fans that there's always been enmity between the Mandalorians and the Jedi. And wouldn't it be ironic if it was a Jedi, a Force user, who's the one that tames the mythosaur and and kind of brings those two things together? Because you, you wonder with the Mandalorians having done what they've done, the Forge is alight again, very sort of Tolkien-esque moment when they relight the Forge, that... Now are the Mandalorians, what side are they going to be? Do they just want to be left alone? Before it was always sort of mixed in with the Hut stuff and all the Underworld stuff, and now we know much more about the Mandalorians than we did before. Where are they going to sit in the broader scope of the galaxy? I would think that for the most part, they're going to be focused on trying to kind of like eke out a life on Mm. Mandalore itself. Rebuilding. Yeah, rebuilding. We saw just that one quick brief scene where they're in the cave and it's like oh yeah you know we've been kind of growing all this stuff and what have you a, a rushed moment almost again just to kind of like tie it all together kind of say hey look you guys can stay here and we can support life and what have you so i would imagine this will be one of these things that i think the society now changes based on the fact that like there isn't a dark saber and therefore you know there is no you know one unifying yeah. thing rally behind rally behind exactly the uh the mythosaur could be that could be that thing mm. but it kind of felt like at least at the end of the season they're all united but you know again this is this whole thing isn't it it's like it's for happy ever after but it's like for, for how long and how long is it before you know the death watch and the other and you know the night tales and that kind of yeah. come to blows just because of like fundamental differences like about wearing helmets and not wearing helmets and, and stuff like that now you think that because Bo-Katan and the armorer seem to be getting on pretty well that they should be able to kind of maintain the peace so it's only probably going to be if those two have like a disagreement or on are at odds with each other that there might be issues yeah i mean, i just wonder it's like you know if if this is going to be you know the last we're going to see any heavy active involvement with Katie Sackhoff in the season. This season almost did feel like kind of like what they've they've kind of been retroactively kind of walking back a little bit and and kind of saying near the end of um, the season from the press conferences, it's like, oh, well, it doesn't have to be about Din, it could be about any Mandalorian. And this last season really has focused on Bo-Katan and the rest of the Mandalorians as a whole rather than necessarily Din. Because I think kind of like we see everything almost through Din and Grogu's perspective. And yeah. they're kind of there for the ride. Like really in some respects, you know, if we're kind of like going to compare him to people in Tolkien, Bo-Katan really is uh, Aragorn. Din really is a combination of Legolas and Gimli. You could say actually, yeah, Grogu's Gimli. You know, so they're kind of there to support the final push of Bo-Katan rather than actually be about him. And I'm quite glad because I kind of didn't necessarily want him to suddenly become a ruler of Mandalore because I think it would just be that little bit too easy 
where they've left it. They've left it with enough space that they could tweak and change and stuff like that. But like you said, if John Favreau's already written it, he, he must have a pretty good idea of where he wants it all to go. It does seem that way, doesn't it? And it gives you confidence that it feels like it's plotted. It's well plotted, at least in the in the major points. Two things occur to me. One, we're watching Walking Dead, and they did a, a fairly significant time jump in season 10, where they stepped forward quite a chunk of time. And I wonder whether or not we come back to Din Darren and Din Grogu, <laughs> as they are now, a few years down the line, where maybe we have a bit of time that's passed and there's a bit of development and we see things have moved on a little bit. I wonder if that's the case. And also, I was a big fan of Orange is the New Black. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And season one of Orange is the New Black focused on, and I forgive me, I forget the character's name, but the, the blonde girl that gets arrested in, in the first episode and ends up in prison. Yeah. You follow her for most of the first season. But then when he gets to the second season, they sort of focus more on other characters. And by the time, by the third season, she's just another character she in is. the prison. Yeah, I, and for mm. the next four or five years, it, it, she's just one of the one of the inmates. And I just wonder whether or not, more Mando than Grogu, weirdly, but, but Mando is just one of the characters in this show called The Mandalorian. Yeah, I mean, it's a fair shout. Because I've, I've heard a lot of discussion around the Ahsoka trailer. And the potential that the world between worlds is going to make an appearance. Yes. So again, there's your time jump. There's no reason why she couldn't jump into the, the future a little bit through the worlds between worlds and uh, and and see Mandalore in 10, 15 years time. You know. So yeah, I think that they will at least up until this Mando verse or what do you call them? The f- Favengers or Favengers, Favengers. Yes. yeah. When that film comes out, I think it's going to be relatively linear, and then maybe there could be a jump. Mm. I think it's all going to depend upon what happens in Ahsoka. And like you said, also like when you know, um, have they announced a season four as in like you know an, an air date? I mean, it's it's going to be at no. least at least you'd think twenty twenty five, if not twenty twenty six. We've got Ahsoka skeleton crew that's at the end of this year as well, isn't it? And then we've got yeah, Acolyte yeah. and and all the following year for space. But then obviously Acolyte doesn't. We don't necessarily think anyway going to tie directly into any of this no, at all. No. The whole point of Mandal, you know, like you said, the Mandalorian being just about Din and Grogu now, I think has probably served its purpose at least to introduce people into a galaxy. And you know, me and you, we don't need introductions, but the casual Disney Plus streaming audience who you know is just checking this out because if they never watched Star Wars but somebody's told them to watch it probably does need that and I think they've done that pretty well so it'll be interesting to see what happens and you know I am really excited because I'm really looking forward to seeing how they they use the Mandalorian and these other live action shows in a similar way as they used the Clone Wars animated series as a way to flesh out characters and situations and just emotions between episode two and episode three but in this instance it's between the original trilogy and the sequel trilogy and i think it's quite a good i you know it's quite a nice idea that we've done that you're never going to get the time and the backstories that you're going to need into the sequel trilogy to to explain the past 35 years to everybody so just don't mm. bother. Why don't you just kind of go, right, we'll leave that for another day and we'll leave it for TV. Yeah. And that's when we can go granular. That's then we can start to focus on like, you know, what's happening? What is, you know, Project Necromancer and who is Grand yes. Animal Fawn and what's he doing and how is he connected to, you know, the, the chick in uh, Coruscant and uh, and everything else? And you kind of go, right, okay, so that's actually, it's not a bad way of looking at it. It's not. And also, I just wonder now, because it feels like if they want to, they have kind of put a capper on it and they can come back to characters further down the line and they have options. And just the thought occurs as you're saying all that, that the next time we see Grogu is in the Daisy Ridley 
15 years after Rise of Skywalker project, which is probably 40 plus years on from where we are now. Yeah. Maybe Din and Din just stayed on Navarro, living the quiet life, doing a bit of bounty hunting, and Din Jarin is now gone because if Din's in his 40s at the time of The Mandalorian, it's going to be in his 80s by the time of the Daisy film because it's 40 yeah, years yeah, on. Yeah. And maybe living that kind of lifestyle, maybe that doesn't suit longevity. <laughs> so maybe he's not around anymore. And Grogu, it's a month to Grogu's life, so maybe that's the next time we see him in the timeline. I don't know. I mean, I'm happy to see the next episode of The Mandalorian, season four, if we get it in a couple of years, which I tend to think you're probably quite right on that, not just because of the other shows that are happening, but just because the nature of television now, you can't expect year after year of television in the way we used to. Even streaming television has changed in the last decade. Yeah. It's just a different model now. So, And Star Wars has got so many timelines on the go, so much stuff to fill out and do. If this was any sort of part of the galaxy other than the Mandoverse, which is kind of its own thing, and like Filoni says, you know, we've got a time period between Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens, and that feels like his area to play with now. With Favreau, but other we see John Watts is coming in with Skeleton Crew, and there's other, you know, Robert Rodriguez had Book of Boba Fett, and there's other people sort of playing in that sandpit. But that kind of feels like the area that they've, they've been given out. the scope yeah. to fill. Yeah, definitely. And I just wonder, will the next scene, episode one of season four, chapter twenty-five of The Mandalorian, be Grogu eating the frog, and then off we go on the next adventure, or is it going to be a few years down the line? I don't know, but for season three, I think it's been a roller coaster. It's been the most roller coastery season of Star Wars television I think we've had. I think you're right. It's been up and down. I mean, it all depends upon how precious you take with stuff as well, because I still don't think it's anywhere near as uh, underwhelming as the Book of Boba Fett was. And I enjoyed the Book of Boba Fett, don't get me wrong, but don't necessarily think, uh, you know, one or two, I don't want to say wasted episodes, but episodes that didn't no. necessarily have the, the weightiness behind it. And I think you said it the other day, is that, you know, um, it's quite often that you'd have a lighter episode before you have a really heavy one in mm. some other TV shows, just because it, it does give you that contrast and it does give you that night and day. The, yeah. It's just like weird choices. And I really, I mean, I think probably the only real issue I had is probably episode six or chapter whatever, 23 or something. 22. Yeah, 22. Yeah. Thank you. Which, to be honest, I kind of like, I didn't mind it. I, I think yeah. all it was, and it kind of harkens back to the episode on Typhon, where it just didn't feel Star Wars enough. You know, when they go outside to meet uh, Axe Wozemat and it just looks like could be like a, a playing field in the mm. middle of California or something like that. And it just felt a little bit too real-worldy. Real and, and you know, and, and when you consider actually some of the stuff that we saw in Obi-Wan, again, when he's kind of travelling around and it just looks like they've just gone to shot outside in California, that didn't look so bad. But the Typhon episode kind of did. And it's the same with that one. And then to obviously kind of have a big moment, which I think we've all been talking about since the end of season two, just be like a real easy hand handover which they could have made something bigger out of it and made it more adversarial but actually again yeah. i think it goes to show how din is supporting and putting his stock in yes bo-katan because he does say it doesn't he in the following episode look you know the dark saber means nothing to me and and my people and i think actually in some respects Barring the fact that she's lost a really cool weapon, by the end of chapter eight, I think she also recognises that as well. But actually, there's strength in the symbol, yes, but it will come down to respect that will keep people in line and keep Mandalore thriving as a single community. 
So I think we will leave it there. We will be talking about season three, the good and the bads and the highs and the lows and the dins and the grogus for, you know, the next couple of years. But thank you very much for listening to our reaction chats. If you have happened to have found this episode and haven't listened to the previous episodes for the last couple of seasons, by all means, go back and check them out and you can see how wrong we were with speculation. <laughs> we will return for Ahsoka in August. I look forward to that. Mark, are you looking forward to that? I'm already looking forward to that. So much so, we almost started talking about Ahsoka on this episode. I think episode. we mentioned Ahsoka equally as much <laughs> as we mentioned Live Mandalorian, which is fine because, as I've said before, and as Mark keeps reminding me, it's all Star Wars, so it's all gravy. Thanks for listening to Making Tracks. If you want to be a part of the action and stay updated on all the latest Star Wars news, visit fanfortracks.com or check out the free Fanfortracks app for the App Store to follow us on your mobile device. You can reach out to us to send in your listeners' questions by emailing radio at fanfortracks.com, comment, like and share on any of our social media feeds at Fanfortracks, and be sure to subscribe, leave a review, preferably a five-star one, on Amazon Music, Audible, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast or smart speaker of choice. And as always, thanks to James Temple for composing the Fanfortracks intro, Adam O'Brien for I'm making tracks opening music and Mark Daniel and Vanessa Marshall for our voiceovers remember tune in to Good Morning Tatooine it's live Sunday evenings at 9 o'clock UK 4pm Eastern 1pm Pacific on Facebook and YouTube and check out our Fantatracks Radio Friday Night Rotation every Friday night at 7pm UK time for new episodes of the Phantom From Down Under Planet Layer Desert Planet Discs Start Your Engines Collecting Tracks Cannon Fodder and special episodes of Making Tracks and that's me done for this episode until the next live reaction chat or the next episode of Making Tracks stay safe Take care, and may the force be with you. Coming up next on Fanta Tracks Radio, it's Cannon Fodder.